Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 4, Episode 7. Starve. Their thoughtful walk and conversation was interrupted by the echo of nearby gunshots and muted shouting, sounds that bounced their way through the campus off the walls of the empty dormitories and old classrooms. The sounds were out of place and jarring, like derisive curses overheard at an elegant dinner party. Paul and the old man and Bill the dog. The three of them stopped on a dime and locked eyes with each other, instantly, wordlessly communicating the reality of the life-or-death tension that, here in the apocalypse, seemed to perpetually hang in the air at every turn. Paul fished into his pocket, jerked out a walkie-talkie, squeezed it urgently. He called out, "'This is Paul! Anyone monitoring?' Someone answered, and he shouted, "'What the hell is going on?' The tinny voice of Mac on the other end came through the static. "'Don't know! Some sort of commotion over at the dining hall! Get some people and get over there!' Paul instructed. "'I'll meet you! We're over by the infirmary!' He paused, thought quickly, then continued, And don't kill anyone or do anything stupid until I get there. Bill the dog stood at alert, looking in the direction of the violent sounds, ready for action. Paul began to move quickly in that direction, yelling back over his shoulder, Take the dog and get back to the infirmary. He increased his walk to a trot and disappeared around the corner of a brick building. The old man watched Paul leave, looked at the dog and said, Like hell we will! Then, Bill! Forwards! The old man began jogging cautiously a few strides behind Bill. He favored his damaged shoulder, holding it with his good hand to ease the impact of motion. Paul paused for a moment to catch his breath as he approached the dining hall. That appeared to be the location of the chaotic noise and disturbance. It was moments like this that he appreciated, maybe even envied his father's recently acquired athleticism. The dining hall was one of the original school buildings. It had been refurbished over the years. Its brick facade had been refitted with a bank of large windows across the front that revealed rows of tables and chairs inside. This gave a more modern appearance to the older traditional structure. If you squinted your eyes, Paul thought, 
You can see the ghosts of professors and undergraduates sipping coffee and discussing love, war, and philosophy with clueless intensity. Oak doors with gold-chromed edges and vertical windows framed the doorway. There were spider-webbed bullet holes in the windows of the doors. Paul saw Mac and several others outside the building. They were crouched down behind one of the abandoned cars that decorated the campus. He joined them. He struggled to form a question around his out-of-breath panting. He wiped sweat from his face with his shirt sleeve. What's going on? Outsiders, Mac responded. They were stealing food from the cafeteria. Jack surprised them as they came out. They shot at him, and now they're holed up inside. Is anyone hurt? Paul asked. No, we don't think so. Just some broken windows. Looks like they have a pistol of some sort. You said outsiders? How did they get past the scouts? I haven't been able to debrief the scout teams, but my current theory is that they must have snuck in somewhere along the perimeter. Mac responded, We were tracking some small groups to the south that were active. Paul was starting to catch his breath. He spoke to Mac sternly between huffs. Well, once this situation is resolved, we need to talk to our scout teams about being diligent and alert. We can't have outsiders traipsing in, shooting guns and taking our supplies. We can't be everywhere. Mac started. Paul cut him off. And they're inside the dining hall? What do they want? I don't know, Max said. But they stopped shooting. We might be able to find out. Well, why don't we ask them? Be my guest. Paul stood up and inspected the building for signs of life or movement. He cupped his hands to his mouth and shouted, Come out! There was a delay of a few seconds before the response came. No, you'll kill us. Paul thought about this. The voice sounded like a teenager. What do you want? He shouted. We just wanted some food. The teenager's voice shouted back. Paul answered. Okay, we have no interest in killing anyone. If you put down your guns and come out with your hands over your heads, we can talk. We can feed you. We can help. No, we don't trust you. Paul sat back down and said to no one in particular, We've got work to do. We don't have time or resources to deal with this. He continued, What options do we have? Mac replied, We could put some rifles up in that other building and snipe them. No, there's got to be a way to talk them out. Paul said, Sounds like a kid, probably just scared and hungry. Kid or not, we shouldn't be risking our own people for someone who just tried to kill us, Max said. Paul thought and replied, they're not going anywhere. We have time, for now at least, to act rationally. The old man and Bill pulled up to the side of the next building over from the dining hall. He wasn't out of breath like Paul, but his shoulder hurt and he was favoring it. Their sudden arrival startled Zane the Scout, who was crouched in the shade of the corner of the building, watching the scene unfold. "'What's going on?' the old man asked. Zane, a bit surprised to see him, didn't answer, but instead asked, "'What are you doing here? 
just seeing if we could help. Zane gave them the once-over with his gaze and resisted rolling his eyes and answered, Looks like there's a couple of armed outsiders inside the dining hall, and they don't want to come out. What do they want? The old man asked. Food? Zane said. Why don't we see if we can make our way around the back of the building to get a better position? The old man said and started to move forward. Zane watched for a moment, shrugged, and joined them. That's exactly what I was thinking, he said. They made their way along the boxwood-lined path to the far side of the dining hall and began to work their way around towards the back. There were no doors on this side of the building. They slinked along the solid red brick wall. They could hear shouting as negotiations continued at the front. There were no doors, but there was a window. The window was about chin high and smallish, some architectural artifact of an earlier version of the building. The old man stopped, looked at the window, and then looked quizzically at Zane. Zane looked at the old man. Bill the dog looked at them both. The old man cupped his hands to block the sun and peered into the window. It was some sort of storage room, filled with the dark shapes of boxes and shelving. The lit outline of another door framed the far side. Zane braced himself and pushed against the window. It did not move. It looked like it hadn't been opened for a hundred years. There were so many accumulated layers of old paint, you could hardly see where the joins met. Break it? Zane asked in a whisper. No, the old man replied. Too much noise. Try this. He had produced a long knife from his shorts pocket and offered it handle first to Zane. Zane looked at the old man with an unspoken question in his eyes. It was the old man's turn to shrug. Zane scraped and chiseled the flaking paint away as quickly as the window would allow. He knew they were exposed as long as the work continued, but within minutes, he was able to insert the blade into the crack between the window sash and the casing. A century of institutional paint cracked and split, falling in toxic flakes to the grassy ground. When it was loose enough, Zane pushed the blade up into the sash lock and worked the old brass fittings aside enough to release the lock. With great effort and the old man pitching in with his good arm, they were able to push the window up about 12 inches, where it stuck firmly, irrevocably, in the accumulated paint. Can you get in through there? The old man asked, sizing up Zane and the opening in turn. Probably, Zane replied. But you're not getting through there with your shoulder. I can if you shove me through, the old man protested. What are we hoping to accomplish? Zane asked. They're armed. Can we get Bill in? The old man smiled. This is his kind of job. We can try, Zane said doubtfully. Bill first, the old man commanded. Bill, here! 
and when the dog dutifully came to the old man's knee, looking up expectantly, the old man said, Sorry, buddy, you drew the short straw this time. Bill was willing. He knew what they wanted him to do, but he wasn't designed to squeeze through windows. It was like trying to push an octopus under a door, a long-haired, gangly, 100-plus-pound octopus. With much grunting and pushing, they managed to lift the dog, put his forepaws and head through the hole, and then slowly, clumsily, shove the rest of the big dog into the opening. After some awkward scrambling of claws on brick, Bill's hindquarters scraped ungracefully out of sight over the peeling windowsill. There was a moment of silence, and then the big head appeared looking back out through the crack. Me next, said the old man. Zane looked doubtful. The old man stuck his head into the opening and braced his good hand on the peeling windowsill. Bill licked his face enthusiastically, with the old man trapped and unable to fend off the dog kisses. Push! He hissed over his shoulder to Zane. I'm drowning here! With even less grace than with a big dog, Zane lifted the old man. He pushed and prodded and inelegantly plunged the old man through the opening. The old man would sub-vocalizing, Ow! Ow! Oh! Through gritted teeth the whole time. There was a sound of something being knocked over and some muted swearing as the old man's sandals disappeared over the edge. Zane, in stark contrast to the circus-like comedy of the clunky transit of the old man and dog, was able to pull himself through with relative ease. They crouched in the lightless room to let their heart rates settle and to catch their breath. Now what? Zane asked. Let's see what the situation is. Maybe we can surprise them. The old man smiled in the dark. They moved to the outline of light that indicated the door at the other side of the room and eased it open a crack. The storage room door opened into the kitchen behind a serving counter. Beyond the counter were two dirty teenagers with torn shirts crouching along the wall near the outside door. They were nervously looking out the window. One of them, the older one, had a thirty-two caliber revolver dangling from his hand. The most notable thing about the two teens was how skinny they were, almost skeletal, with hollow cheeks and sunken eyes. There were snippets of conversation. Should we give up? Go out there? The younger one asked with anxiety in his voice. Maybe they're telling the truth. Shut up! The older one replied. I need to think. You know we can't trust anyone now. What are we going to do? Shut up, I said. Let me think. The old man and Zane had a whispered conversation behind the cracked open storage room door. A couple of kids. Zane shook his head. Things must be getting bad. They look like those pictures of starving refugees. Let's get closer. The old man whispered, behind the counter. 
They stealthily slid the door open a little bit more and crawled low and silently behind the cover of the counter. Bill, from his training, kept his steps light and placed each big paw deliberately to avoid the clacking of nails on tile. They paused against the bottom of the counter and considered what to do next. The old man reached under the counter and pulled out a glass quart jar of mayonnaise. He smiled and handed it to Zane. He then hefted a similar jar of kosher dill pickles and pantomimed a throwing motion. He pointed to the dog. He pointed to Zane and himself in the same manner and made running movements with his fingers. Zane didn't seem to have a lot of enthusiasm for the idea, but it didn't seem like he could object, so he nodded that he understood. The old man hefted the pickles with his good arm like a soldier hefting a grenade from which the pin had been recently pulled. He mouthed, They hurled their jars to opposite corners of the room, and at the same time the old man hissed, Foss! The two jars simultaneously exploded on either side of the room. The teens jumped, unsure what was going on and where it was coming from. The older one fumbled nervously with a pistol. Bill rocketed up and over the counter like a demon launching from the depths of hell, moving with Old Testament-style fury towards a kid with a gun. Before either kid could react, the big dog had the older kid's forearm in his mouth and was shaking it violently, the kid screaming from the shock of it. The younger one bolted towards the door. Zane had been moving as well and grabbed the dropped pistol. I got it. Call the dog off. Halt! Nine! Oh, The old man shouted as he, too, came out from around the counter. Bill stood back a short distance and stared at the crying kid with threatening intensity. Go ahead! I got this one! Zane said. Get the other one! The old man called, Come! to the dog and headed out the front door. Bill turned hard, and after a cartoon-like spin-out with nails scratching furiously on the tile, bounded after him. Zane looked at the teenager cowering on the floor, holding his bloodied wrist and whimpering. He couldn't have been more than fifteen. Clothes torn and dirty, skinny as hell. I'm not going to hurt you, kid. Meanwhile... The second teen had pushed through the door and sprinted across the road past the waiting watchers. Mac raised his weapon to shoot, but Paul pushed it aside and said, No, split up. Get around him on the sides. We'll cut him off. By this point, the old man had emerged with Bill. The old man gestured in the direction the kid had run and said, Loaf! to the dog, who pivoted and shot off like a rocket in pursuit. The chase continued across the section of the campus bounded by the pond. The kid was hemmed in and herded by Mac's crew. He arrived desperately at the pond with the dog in hot pursuit and nowhere to turn. The kid splashed into the pond up to his waist and turned to face his pursuers. The big dog stopped with his front paws in the water and began to bark. It took a few moments for Paul and the rest to catch up. The old man was right behind. Blabe! The kid was a sorry sight, dejected, filthy, and waist-deep in the pond water. 
You give up, kid? Paul shouted. Yeah, don't kill me. I give up. He whimpered in return. We just wanted some food. We didn't want to hurt anyone. Come on in, kid. We'll talk about it, Paul assured him. Mac, can we get a blanket or a towel or something? The defeated youngster trudged through the shallows to the shore, hugging his frail frame with dirty arms and head hanging. What's your name, kid? Paul asked. Warren, the kid grunted. Well, Warren, you've caused us some trouble here. We's just hungry is all, the kid whimpered. Stevie got a new baby and we got to keep it fed. The old man brightened. A baby? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, survivors. Welcome back. For those of you time-traveling through the podcast Rift, we are at Season 4, Episode 7, and this episode will drop at the beginning of November 2023. That means we're coming up on four years together here at the After the Apocalypse. We drop a new episode every two weeks. If you are a subscriber on Acast, you can get the show a week earlier than everyone else. Everyone. A week earlier before that weird guy. A week before that lady with the nasally voice and the tattoos. All of them. A week earlier. And I'm doing an excellent job this season of keeping up the publishing schedule. I say that because I am what they call in the biz a pantser. And this does not mean that I sneak up behind people and pull down their shorts. No, it means that most of the time I am flying by the seat of my pants. Now, flying by the seat of one's pants is a phrase first coined in the 1930s. It refers to pilots who get caught in heavy fog or clouds, so they don't know which way is up. And the only way they can determine which way is up by the pull of gravity on their backsides. 
Used colloquially, like I have here, it means generally without any instrumentation or with limited planning and limited control. Because as much as I try to plan ahead, I fill out my note cards, I draw maps, I do all sorts of things. But I always find the story taking me down new paths that I had not foreseen when the journey started. And new characters find their way into the story to say hello. I'm going to call it a strength, right? (laughs) A creative strength. I suppose it's like composing music. You need to listen to that music, right? You need to listen to the music of the story. And when you hear something, when you hear an opportunity, you see where to put in that horn toot or that cymbal clash instead of just reading the sheet music. So, my apocalyptic brethren, what do we have to talk about this week? Well, let's start, like we usually do, with books. I finished a book by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. called The Sirens of Titan, and I liked it. I liked it enough. I I love Kurt Vonnegut. I love his sense of humor. I love his satire. He's a great writer, one of my favorites. Sirens is one of his earlier books. Um, But now, since I brought up Kurt Vonnegut Jr., I get to tell you my Kurt Vonnegut Jr. story. When I was in my 20s, I got a new job with the company I was working for at the time. And after a time, it ended up being a really good job, a great job that had me traveling around the world, having some grand adventures. But when I first transferred over into this new role, I had absolutely nothing to do. So every day, I would drive to work in my suit and tie, sit in my cubicle, and figure out how to fill the dead air. And one of the things I did was to read Vonnegut novels. <laughs> I think I read Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, and maybe even Breakfast of Champions. Can you imagine? But the Sirens of Titan, going back to the Sirens of Titan, which I read the last couple of weeks, was published in 1959, and this was a hole in my Vonnegut reading list. It was his second novel, so he's still developing his craft. You can see the writer he would become, but there's also a sort of tentativeness to it, like he wasn't quite as confident. The thing I like most about Vonnegut is that the writing is different, It's and its difference makes it interesting. The stories are not heroic. They're about dumb schmucks wandering through an indifferent universe. And I suppose publishers at the time didn't really know what to do with him. Was it social commentary? Was it satire? Was it science fiction? Yes, it was all those things. Let me tell you a story now about Sirens of Titan that I absolutely love. And I just discovered this story, this interesting tidbit, just now while researching the book. The movie rights for Sirens of Titan, these movie rights were sold by Vonnegut in 1983 to, wait for it, Jerry Garcia. That's right. For those of you who don't know, and I'm not sure we can be friends anymore, Jerry Garcia was the lead guitarist and singer, vocalist for The Grateful Dead. So besides being an awesome writer and an interesting guy, apparently Kurt Vonnegut was a deadhead. So there, that's a great story. But unfortunately for all of us, Jerry Jerry Garcia left this astral plane for another before 
Anything came from the Sirens of Titan movie project. I could go on and on, which I fear I have started to, but my apocalyptic friends, if you have not read any Kurt Vonnegut Jr., you need to. Start with Slaughterhouse-Five. It's probably his best work. And I gotta tell you, it is still a relevant read based on current affairs. He wrote that novel based on his experience in World War II as a prisoner of war in Dresden, Germany. He was taken captive in the Battle of the Bulge, and the prisoners were held underground in a meat locker while the Allies firebombed Dresden, the famous firebombing of Dresden. So you can picture Vonnegut emerging from this meat locker to this bombed-out hellscape of Dresden. Yeah, it's awful. And imagine the impact that had on him living through that as like a 20-year-old and then having to come back to America and forge a life. So we as creatives should never discount the importance of life events in influencing our art. And what is Chris watching these days? Well, I'm keeping my Tubi streak going. I rewatched John Carpenter's They Live from 1988, which is one of my favorite movies. It's a good sci-fi movie with a sense of humor. Really worth a watch if you never have seen it. I'll leave it there, but that's on Tubi. I also watched Serenity, which is the movie version of the sci-fi channel series Firefly. Now, Firefly was a short-lived space western series from Josh Whedon in the early 2000s that, even though it got canceled pretty much right away in the first season, uh, it developed a cult following. And Serenity is the film adaptation that takes place on the timeline after the series wraps up, and it ties up all the loose ends from the series. When I originally watched this movie, I had just finished watching the series, and honestly, I was nonplussed by the movie. I thought it was, yeah, it was okay, right? But when I went back this week and rewatched it, it actually holds up better as a standalone piece. Now that I've had time to forget about the original series, and I'm not suffering from those biases, Serenity was a really good movie. So how's your uh, book creation project going, Chris? How how am I progressing on my book production project? Well, not so great. I got waylaid by some old computer, old website stuff. What we refer to as technology debt in uh, in the biz, I had to clean some stuff up. And I wasn't able to do any work on the book version of season one. I would, however like to take this opportunity to give a plug to my structural editor, Christine, over at Clever Editors. She did a fantastic job, and it was obvious to me that she was focused on my work and my voice and understood what I was trying to do. And I'm calling her out because it is so rare in my life to get that high-quality, personalized service where you can tell she cares about her work and she cares about your work, and that's incredibly valuable to me. It's not just a transaction, right? And they're not paying me to say this. As a matter of fact, I'm paying them. (laughs) But 
I'm going to include a link to their website and their Facebook group here in the notes. So you authors, reach out to Christine, tell her I sent you, and if you want to be authors as well. And it is clevereditors.com. With that, I'm going to let you get back to your own personal apocalypses, apocalypse. Till we meet again, stay low, don't make any noise, and keep surviving. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.